When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're going to begin with a one-minute opening statement from each candidate. We'll then get into questions and discussion on four separate items. On each theme, the candidates are going to have a minute to answer the question, and then we'll move into discussion and rebuttal and debate for four minutes before moving on to the next theme. The speaking order is determined randomly for the opening and the closing statements as well as for responses in each uh, item. The four themes we'll be addressing tonight are, and the candidates knew about these beforehand, first is crime, second is poverty and homelessness, third is reconciliation and Winnipeg's Indigenous Accord, and finally municipal taxes and financing. So we'll get right to the opening statements and the randomly determined order. The first person to give an opening statement with one minute is Don Woodstock. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. I want to be the mayor of Winnipeg because I've seen a few atrocities firsthand. My business takes me into people's homes and I've seen the kind of fear that people have been going through for the last little while. I've done a few things over the many years in terms of small initiative in the city. I was the guy who got the city to change from garbage day to recycle day. I'm also the one who promote the business of reusable bags. Today I'm happy to see Walmart and others following it. I'm also the one, contrary to what people tell you, who lobbied the city and pushed for Homes for Heroes to be here. It wasn't Kevin. And so one of the things that I wanted to do um, tonight is to let you know that DonWoodstock.com has our platform and our issues, and you can join us there. Thanks again for the opportunity to be here. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Rick, go ahead. Good evening. My name is Rick Sean. I've chosen to live in Winnipeg, and I've chosen to raise a family and build a business here. I've invested in Winnipeg both financially and with my time to make this place that we live in better. Like many of you, I had high hopes for our city leadership, but over the past few years, I've been disappointed time and time again. You know, Winnipeg needs strong leadership. They need someone who can work with others to get things done. I'll be a mayor who sets clear priorities, one that makes sense, that can be paid for and have great impact for our quality of life. Services have been cut time and time again. Our debt is out of control. We spend records amount of dollars on roads every single year only to be left with the worst roads in the country. Our city is dirty, garbage everywhere. We have folks living in, in bus shelters. But I believe we can be a world-class city. To be world-class, we need to start by getting the basics right. Winnipeg is a great city, and we have so much going for us and so much potential. We can achieve it together. Okay, thanks so much, Greg. Next, we'll hear from Rana Bakari. I'm Rana Bakari, um, a candidate for mayor, and I'm super very happy to be here uh, amongst uh, colleagues who have become friends throughout this campaign. So much has happened in the past three years, and I think what COVID, post-COVID, what, what it has shown us is that 
there is a disproportionate effect of crisis on the most vulnerable people in this city. As a lawyer for 10 years, as a human rights advocate, as someone who believes that people will always and should always come before politics, I choose to base my campaign on how to lift people from the most vulnerable situations of drug addiction, mental health, poverty, homelessness, because I know for a fact, evidence will show, facts will show, that when we take care of the most vulnerable people in any city, our entire city will do well. And that is my focus. That is what I want to do, and that is why I'm running for mayor. Okay, thanks so much. Next, we'll hear from uh, Chris Clasio. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris Clasio. Back in 2014, I decided to run for mayor, but could not find the official agent or even open up a bank account. But back in uh, 2014, I did run for school trustee. And back in 2014, I was also engaged in the civic process. And I remember a candidate talking about a new generation of leadership. Uh, for me, I'm done talking about the new generation of leadership, and we should be talking about the next generation of leadership. And for me, young people, young professionals, they are the future. And as a young re representative who calls himself a civic practitioner and a policy entrepreneur, I think this is the city where young entrepreneurs will make a difference and be involved in the civic process. Because if you don't understand civics, then you don't understand local economic development. Okay, thanks so much, Chris. And finally, we'll hear from uh, Idris Edelikund. Hello everyone, my name is Idris Adelakun. I'm a professional engineer in the province of Manitoba. I'm a certified project manager. I'm also a certified professional in engineering management. I completed a PhD in leadership from Carolina University and a master's degree from the University of Manitoba. I want a city that works for everyone. I strongly believe that we need to improve on how we do things and I'm focusing on four key areas. I'm focusing on trying to improve on homelessness, addictions, and mental health. Right now, we have over 1,000 people that are homeless, and there's a need for us to figure out how to help them. Part of my plan is to provide 800 housing units within the next four years. Another point is to make sure that we create more opportunities in our city. A lot of people there don't want to stay in the province and even in the city because they don't have a lot of opportunities. So there's a need for us to create more opportunities and make everyone feel at home. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, so we're going to move on to our first uh, item of debate now, and that is the issue of crime. Uh, I'm going to ask the question. Everyone will have a minute to address the question, and then we'll have four minutes for discussion and debate. So in a recent probe survey of Winnipeggers, just under 50% identified crime as the biggest issue facing the city, and in fact, this is the, the biggest concern amongst those surveyed. What are your plans for addressing this concern? And why should Winnipeggers see you as the best candidate to do so? And we'll first hear from, again, in random order, Rick Sean. Go ahead. <clears throat> Crime does exist in every major city, but it's how we approach the management and prevention of crime that sets us apart. So my plan to manage crime it really effectively includes, you know, first of all, conducting a full audit of 911 services, uh, 911 dispatch. Second, to expand the foot patrol and bike patrol initiatives in central Winnipeg. And I'd also like to recommend a unit be created for veteran officers who, uh, who handle priority five calls only. 
at this time, I've created, I've committed to not increasing the uh, the police budget. However, I do recognize that we spend a lot on emergency services, so we need to look at how do we reduce the workload for police and get them out of some of the roles that are better served by social services, such as expanding the mobile crisis unit, expanding the cadet program to get you know police out of hospitals uh, and onto the streets and managing crime effectively. Okay. Next, we'll hear from Ronna Bacardi. Thank you. You know, throughout this campaign, um, I haven't wavered on three things, that everything is connected. Crime is connected to poverty, poverty and homelessness are connected, uh, and the rampant drug addiction issues in the city are all connected. And it's not to say that just because someone is dealing with a drug issue, that means that they're uh, just related to crime, but I think we have to acknowledge the fact that the drugs that are on the streets right now are some of the most vicious drugs uh, we have seen most likely in our history. It's the kind of drug that would probably make even the most sincere person uh, want to go out and do, do whatever they need to do to get their fix. Now, we're dealing with a homelessness issue, we're dealing with a poverty issue, we're dealing with a crisis issue when it comes to addiction. Um, I do not believe uh, that we cannot, we cannot proceed. We can't keep doing the same thing over and over. The right way to do this, the evidence-based way, to, to proceed when it comes to crime is get to the root of it, and that means creating a uh, safe consumption site. Thanks very much. Don, you take it away. Crime has ripped our city apart over the years, and for me it's looking at the kind of stress that the police currently is under. And for every minute and a half, there's someone calling 911. The, the dispatcher cannot dispatch the police if they don't have it. The city has grown more than 30%, and the land mass has almost doubled in size. So the police cannot keep up right now. So a lot of folks think the budget is, is way high, but the police needs our help. So every dollar that the police currently give back to the city in the, in the form of rent, vehicles, gas, etc., I would give back that to the police for the first four years because they need to expand, they need to get more vehicles out, and most importantly, the provincial government needs to come in and help with some of the roles to lighten the, the load of the police and make sure the police at least follow the act, arrest who need to be arrested, and charge who need to be charged. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Idris, uh, take it away. Thank you very much for that. Um, one of the things I want to do is to um, involve uh, our youth. Um, there's a need for me to have a youth crime prevention program, and we are going to tap funding from the federal. I believe that we have a lot of money we can get from that area. Another point is to make sure that we support our police. Um, we can continue to use force only. I want to collaborate with the, our social you know, services so that we can also free them for more challenging tasks so they can get involved in those ones. Then we can free them up from doing all those things. Then another point is to make sure that we address all those underlying issues. Um, if you look at my plan under idrisformio.com, you will see that I've highlighted some points such as poverty. Um, we also need to make sure we make provision for affordable housing. And then we also need to make sure that uh, we you know, create more opportunity in our city for, to engage our people. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Finally, we'll hear from Chris Clausio. Early in the election, I made a commitment, a vow specifically, to cap the police budget to 20% of the total city budget or equivalent to 18.3% of the fire paramedics services budget. I believe that 
the problem that our police service is having is the lack of uh, management of city staff, police officers on the streets. I believe that police officers, senior administrations, must understand how to look at the data, crime stats, other da uh, data analysis, to really look at specific hotspots in the city to address where the violent crime and other specific crime uh, to really uh, prevent and deter any kind of uh, crime uh, in that vicinity. So uh, that's my commitment. Okay, thanks so much. Uh, so now we'll turn to uh, a debate and discussion. We might have a bit of a problem because these candidates seem like a very nice group of people, but <laughs> now now is the opportunity to uh, to mix it up. If anyone wants to expand on their answers, take issue with uh, anything another candidate said. Can I I'll, just uh, please jump take in? A speaker. Go ahead, Ron. So we were hearing from candidates. There's there's five of us here, and almost every one of them uh, has somehow spoken about how to either increase the police budget have the police budget remain the same, increase policing, um, and again, those are not the ways to reduce the crime. If at $320 million, 27% of our current budget is going towards police, and Winnipegers cannot call 911 and actually get a response, what does that tell us? That the system is not working. Increasing funding to the police budget will not help. We need to get to the root causes. That's why I've committed Run, 10% to reallocate into social services that will yeah. go into homelessness, you know, go into poverty, part of that, though, go into is, social is services. What I was mentioning is the dispatch service. I mean, we have a you have a 911 dispatch right now. It has 45% turnover, and 30% of the staff are quitting within the first year. They they also like right at the very start when somebody is calling the police, they cannot effectively uh, triage the calls properly. So, you know, this is a major, major issue where we start at. And, you know, right now, 80% uh, of the police budget is actually tied up in salaries and contracts. So yes. unless we're willing to lay off a ton of people, we really can't do a 10% decrease at this moment. I, I answer, no but way. the truth is, one second, Rena, you know, but the truth is, is that when you look at the 911 calls, the amount of calls that the police are, are, are receiving on a daily basis, every single minute and a half, there's a 911 call that goes out from we sit here. How do you correct that? I have spoken to the police in a number of times. I've seen them in the road, seen them on the beat. I've seen them standing at Walmart. The, the police are now managing our Walmarts and our superstores. Guys, the fact of the matter is the provincial government has taken away some responsibility that the police will, should be able to, to help and alleviate the problem. And that responsibility, I need, I need to go back to peace officers so the police can free up themselves. At the end of the day, the city has grown. The city has has expanded and and 23 cars cannot do at the end of the day we're missing the crux of the issue the issue is there is rampant crime in the city which means that crime is happening for a reason and what i'm saying is that the reason that that crime is happening is addictions, homelessness, poverty, and all of those other issues. Yes, so what would, yeah. what would increasing a police budget do if we haven't resolved those issues? And when you have limited funding so for municipality... we need to do those things in tandem and simultaneously. That's my It's 320 million. It's, it, you have a budget that's taking 27% of the entire yeah, municipal budget. But that's budget. not true. But that's not true because the police rents... You know, the, every 
vehicle that they have, the lease, and the lease is to the well, city. Well, not every, only that, every, they rent, they rent yeah, the HQ headquarters rent, exactly. as well, which so goes right back to the it city. It goes right back to the city. So again, I ask the question, if I gave you, Rana, if I gave you $100,000 to manage this facility, and every month, every year you give me back back $30,000, what is your budget? Your budget you know, what, is not $100,000. One thing 000. that Rana made, did say, though, about, and I completely agree with, is we have to... St- we have to try to figure out a way to remove police from certain calls, like wellness checks, yes. and responding to people who are having mental health crisis Absolutely. and addictions. I completely 100%. But then, agree how with are that. you planning on funding those organizations that require sure. to answer those calls? Yeah. So we need to provincial pick a government help. Well, yes, provincial, yes, provincial, like provincial government have to do with uh, mental health, not just, the city. Just, so a, like just a reminder that none of the mayoral candidates here a, are, is able to direct police operations and i think that if we really want that's why I've also stated we, we have need to new. talk with our city council yeah. can, that's why i stated we also need new leadership at the top someone who does understand the constraints that we're in right now in the city i know but rick you can't you also don't have authority to fire <laughs> I, I never and said I know fire. that I, I know that, fire. but you know I that's out there. And I, I gave you the opportunity <laughs> to clarify. I gave you the opportunity to clarify. Idris, do you want to jump in quickly? Yes. So, the end of the um, I know we've been talking about this issue. One of the things I have in my plan is to make sure that we address all those underlying issues before we start reducing the police budget. Even my plan is to collaborate call the police, you know, when we start addressing all those stuff, issues that we have at hand. And at the end of the day, it will be very easy for us to be able to talk about, you know, reducing budget. But for now, when you still have a lot of crime in the city, it is difficult to, you know, cut their budget from my own perspective. But it's something that we can do with time. But if you don't address all those underlying issues, you know, it will be very difficult for us to be able to talk about reducing their budget. Another plan, my plan is to make sure that when I become the next mayor, I'm going to be part of the Winnipeg Police Board. We can collaborate, we can run minds together. We can bring ideas. I'm going to involve a lot of stakeholders in that. Then that will enable us to be able to resolve the issue together. Thank you. And okay. I would agree with that, and I will also do the same thing until we get a new police chief. Alright, so let's uh, let's wrap up this uh, segment. That was great. Uh, very exciting. We're going to move on to our second theme now, which is uh, poverty and homelessness. So following the same format, uh, the question is, in that same survey of Winnipeggers that I mentioned earlier, about a quarter of respondents identified poverty and homelessness as major concerns facing the city. What approach will you bring to tackling the problems of poverty and homelessness in Winnipeg? We have another randomly determined order, and the first person we'll hear from this time is Don Woodstock. We had an opportunity in 2018 to address some of these issues, and Mayor Brian Bowman did nothing about it. Going forward, we have to examine the underlying cause of poverty. We have jobs. The city of Winnipeg wasn't open and has not been open for business. Investors are not running here. We are in the center of Canada. And if we're in the center of Canada, we have a, um, a, very, a very, very inexpensive labor force. We have a very expensive land cost. We have very, very cheap hydro. Why is it we don't have multilateral corporations coming here in droves? And, and the problem is we have bad politics. Bad politics have led us to this way. And the status quo hasn't worked. And I'm happy to tell you, vote Don Woodstock because I'm none of the above. All they're going to be good doing is giving us bad politics. And we need to create jobs and incentives for people to do business here. And we can do it if, if, if we pull our minds and hearts together to open the city again for business. Thank you. 
Okay, thanks so much. Uh, Idris, you're next up on this. Yeah, in terms of homelessness, if you look at my plan, if you go to idrisformayor.com, you will see that I've already promised 800 housing units within four years. And we are not going to build all new 800 housing units. We are going to use some unused uh, building in downtown as well as part of those uh, 800. And I've already came up with a model. I've been working with builders. So it's just for us to start working on that. And I'm going to get funding from the federal, you know, province and the city. We are going to collaborate together to ensure that we address homelessness. Um, in terms of uh, other aspects, uh, what is going to happen in fall when it gets colder? Because we can't build, you know, 800 houses right now. So I'm going to support the expansion of 24-hour safe spaces as well so that we can make sure that our people, they don't get frostbite. We need to start acting right now. We need to work on that. And um, another thing I want to do is to make sure that we address uh, poverty. I'm going to also make sure that we support the builders so they can have uh, 200, you know, housing units downtown every year. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Next is uh, Chris Glossio on poverty and homelessness in Winnipeg. Uh, just basic uh, civics 101 about our municipal government. Th uh, the city of Winnipeg does have a Winnipeg poverty reduction strategy that I do want to promote. Uh, but I even want to expand that notion of let's abolish poverty in this city. I believe that as a civic practitioner and a policy entrepreneur, the policy that I always think about is basic income. And many people think the basic income is all about giving people free money. Wrong. The problem with basic income is basic income is about access to resources, aka money, to uh, fulfill citizens' Sir, uh, city services. How can I access city services if I don't have money to pay for those services? So it's a question of thinking about what is our vision for our city? Merrill Candidate once told me that city planning, city planning, long-term city planning. Let's think about the future. Okay, thanks so much, Chris. Next up is uh, Rick Sean. So we know as a city that we have a problem. Uh, we have an addictions crisis. We, uh, we have people living in bus shacks. Um, we know this, but we've been closing our eyes and just pretending it hasn't been happening. And so that's why early on I announced that I would build a supervised consumption, some consumption site. And I know that's not a very popular idea with a lot of people, but the reason why we need it is because we need a formal, safe space where people can come and actually be wrapped around with supports and you know, potentially get in front of the, the people who can help them on the road to recovery. And I think it's a really important thing. And each policy that I have brought forward in my plan has had both a financial benefit and a social benefit to the city, which I think is really important. And two, two quick things on the housing. Um, one is I have targeted vacant housing. Uh, we have like 800, 700 houses right now that are vacant. I think they can become a great housing stock. The other thing is parking minimums. I think we need to get rid of parking minimums in our city so that we can build housing at a faster pace, uh, smaller units, uh, a more affordable price as well. Okay, thanks so much. And finally, we'll hear from Rana Bakari. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to agree with Rick on two things. So number one, uh, safe consumption sites. Uh, I've been speaking about safe consumption sites. It was one of my second announcements because I so deeply believe that it is one of the most important issues that we can utilize right away, as soon as possible, even in a mobile in, in a mobile form, uh, in an effort to st start to have people come off the street. We need to start treating people and those who are living in poverty with compassion, with dignity. 
Uh, homelessness is not something that just has happened. This is something that people have been struggling with invisibly and visibly uh, for, a, for a number of years. And now that it's in, in front of everyone's face, we are being forced to deal with it. And that's the wrong way. So I know we don't want to criticize what's happened in the past and we want to move forward, but we have to acknowledge that many mistakes were made, which means we don't want to go back. We don't want to keep doing the same thing that we've been doing for a number of years. Um, abandoned homes, vacant homes, I agree. There's 700 in the city. Uh, I want to provide those to uh, community organizations to start to rebuild homes to home the unhoused. Okay, thanks so much. So we did see some disagreement between the candidates on this issue, so why don't we kind of flesh that out a little. We'll move to the four minutes of debate and discussion. Who wants to take Can it Can I away? ask Rick a question? Mm -hmm. uh, in your policy, talking about vacant house, uh, houses, mm -hmm. my question to you is, why are you committed to 2% of that fee? Why not put it up to 4% of as a fee? Well, so Chris, I don't disagree with what you're saying there. I think, uh, and, and I'll clarify this, because... Um, some other candidates have said they would seize the vacant houses. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to do that. And the reason why was we need to have a controlled approach to this. Okay, We need to give people the opportunity to actually do what they need to do and turn these houses into renovated houses that are now affordable places for people to live. A 2% tax, which is double what we currently have right now, uh, would actually bring in, let's say, roughly $3 million per year. On a $250,000 assessed house, it's a $5,000 fee a year. If that doesn't work, oh yeah, we'll go up 3%, 5%. Vancouver is at 5% right now, and they're seeing great success on, on that. And, and so, yeah, I think it can work quite well. We need to get these houses back in the housing stock. Yeah, but we don't have to tax people that way, Rick, with all due respect. Because I, I, have, I have worked personally in my business with a lot of the flippers that are in the inner court neighborhood. And one thing I can tell you for sure, if they only had a city who was prepared to work with them, a lot of these homes would have been renovated and flipped because some of these guys are my biggest clients. And the honest truth is my plan is going to not seize anybody home. What I'm going to do is give them the option. you got three months because as it is now, if the house is burnt and is sitting there, <coughs> the city of Winnipeg will not even give you permission to lick it down or tear it down because that's rubbish. So I would say fast track all of these um, applications and say, okay, you, Ms., Mr. Owner, you got three months. you got two choices. You're either going to build and, and um, renovate the home, or if you can't, I, the city, will lend you the money at whatever interest rate that's competitive to make sure that you build, so and, then, and, then, and then you will sell. But hang on a second. But here's the, here, uh, so here's the facts. That, so, works, that works in theory, but mm -hmm. not all flippers are like that. I've no, but I'm not talking I've about flippers. I'm talking about houses mass, in the West End. Yeah, yeah, but I'm talking about homes. Empty forever. Yeah, but I'm talking about responsible. Down. Yes, so I'm talking about responsible home ownership. Now and part of the issue is that the responsible ownership want to do something. They mm. want to do something. The city is not how to deal with these homes is prescribed in bylaws already and which means working. it's not working because we haven't enforced those bylaws so when a city that is absolutely true is, so when the city of Winnipeg true. has bylaws when you have a procedure to do something and the enforcement portion of that has not been um, happening Obviously, we're going to have the situation that we see right now. We have 700 homes right in this city. <laughs> we n definitely, 
if we follow that bylaw, ev everything you're saying, those homeowners will have an opportunity yep. to board no. it. They will have a, no, so no, no, no. They will have an opportunity to, to board them up. They'll have an opportunity to fix them. They'll have all that opportunity. No. And I think when people, when, when folks like myself are saying, at some point, the buck needs to stop. If you've given every opportunity to fix the home and but you're not, not doing true. it, but that's right. not true. Let's, no, let's, that is let's no first that, that's that not That is true. absolutely no, factually listen, correct. Guys, guys, listen. It's the bylaws are there. The bylaws are there, and all the city is doing is finding a ways to go there and enforce, enforce, enforce. No. Of course, and, you have and to then, enforce okay. bylaws. We have a complaint Charge system. Them. We have a complaint no, system, and it could be up to five years before you start getting fined. That's why I said it needs to be six So it's about enforcement. It's about enforcement of the current laws. Okay, no, so we're going to we're going to stop discussion on this now, Chris. I want to give you a chance to get in. I'll just say, Rick, I'm going to follow your lead, and actually, uh, my commitment's not two percent; uh, it's a four percent for those derelict buildings. Well, with the, definitely, like I said, Chris, I would be happy to raise that if it's not working properly. Okay, and we are right on time. So thanks so much for that. So we'll move on to our third theme. Uh, this is uh, uh, reconciliation and on Winnipeg's Indigenous Accord. So, in 2017, uh, Winnipeg Council unanimously adopted Winnipeg's Indigenous Accord, which commits the city to continued reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. We know that Winnipeg also has the largest uh, urban Indigenous population of any city in the country. How will you ensure that indig Indigenous people in Winnipeg are included when developing policies as mayor? And how will you advance reconciliation efforts as mayor of Winnipeg? Random order again, first we'll hear from Rana Bakari. Thank you. Um, so I just want to commend the fact that the Accord, the Indigenous Accord does exist. I also want to uh, acknowledge the fact that just recently it has started to include MMIW and those calls for justice as well, uh, which I 100% am behind. I support it, I will continue to support it. Um, but I think that that was an educational piece, but we need to move it forward. Um, I 100% believe that we need to implement the all T uh, TRC action items that, um, that apply to municipalities, number one. Um, I have said this numerous times. I 100% believe I'm committed to this to ensure that uh, all of our departments, our, our city um, staff, are uh, actively trained in education in regards of in, in regards to history um, and how to treat people with dignity and respect based on um, those historic issues. Um, further to that, I think it's very important to make sure that we have some form of um, uh, advisory boards uh, in regards to missing and murder that's separate from the accord. So there's action. Okay, thanks so much, Idris. Next, we'll hear from you. Yes. Yeah, so, um, from my own perspective. I want to make sure that uh, I improve on what has been done in terms of the accord. So I want to have that uh, call action number 57, whereby we can, you know, provide professional training and um, on truth and reconciliation so that public servants can learn more about truth and reconciliation about the residential schools. And my idea, you know, to promote that is just to make sure that when they understand more about that, they can also train their children, and everyone will be able to have an understanding about truth and reconciliation. And everyone will be able to, you know, have a kind of an idea that, you know what, we need to improve on this, and it will help the community at large. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Next, we'll hear from Chris Claus here. 
one of my commitments is to address number 49 of the TRC calls to action, and that is addressing, uh, acknowledging the uh, European sovereignty, uh, to acknowledge and challenge this idea of European sovereignty over uh, treaty without master. or um, And so when I th I've been working with urban and indigenous young people for over seven years, and one thing that they've taught me is what does reconciliation mean? What does truth mean? For me, there is no such thing as truth and reconciliation until there is justice and healing for our city. And that is what we need to focus on, is supporting our relatives on the streets because they are the most needed today and they have the lived experience to get to answer our calls to action. All right, thanks so much. Next we'll hear from, from you, Don. Recently, I was joined by the former chief of Long Plain First Nation, um, Peter Yellowquilt, in which I proposed that in, in support of truth and reconciliation and to continue this effort, we'll have 28 um, indigenous leaders across, um, across Manitoba coming to City Hall on a monthly basis. There'll be one seat at the table for the federal government and one for the provincial government and two for the city representative, which will be the mayor if I'm so chosen. But the idea is more so to bring into full those learned experiences because a lot of time bureaucrats talk about things. They try to implement it on their own without any real hands-off, um, hands-on personal experience. And for me, that's what it is because truth sometimes can be ugly but we have to deal with the truth. And in order to deal with the truth, it's always good. Case in point, 2015, when I asked Pat Martin what he did for people with mental health, all of a sudden, more people are talking about mental health. So that's what I'll do. Thanks. Okay, thanks. And next up is Rick Sean. Okay. Yeah, I support the uh, process of reconciliation. And, you know, although I've been pretty critical of the city and the management in the past, I think we've actually made really great strides forward when it comes to reconciliation. And we've had a really ugly discussion this week uh, on social media with uh, in regards to this, and it's, uh, it's disappointing. Uh, I think we need to continue sharing. We need to continue learning. Uh, reconciliation it requires public education uh, and dialogue, and you know what? It requires us to acknowledge the harms and the indignity of our of our past. And so, as mayor, you know, I would work every day to unify our city, uh, so it becomes a place where everyone has a voice. And I want us to live in a city with a heart, where we recognize that everyone has the same dreams and goals and, and aspirations. You know, and as we grow to a city of a million people. I, you know, I, on working downtown, I see so many people who are new to Winnipeg, but not new from other countries, new from First Nations reserves. And so early on, I had announced an Embracing Winnipeg strategy where we work with Indigenous governments to help, uh, to help transition newcomers, First Nations newcomers, to Winnipeg so that they can find housing, find jobs, and find, um, you know, things to, to support them. Okay, that's great. And now we all know what's coming next, to open debate <laughs> and discussion. So whoever yeah, wants to jump in and get the first word. I just want to, I just want to, um, just, so, you know, I think me and Rick uh, are quite similar in our, in our process there. Uh, and Don, I agree with you with uh, having uh, Indigenous leadership at the table at City Hall um, to ensure that the voices are constantly being heard. Um, I think the only difference between me right now is that uh, Winnipeg is ground zero for missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. There's a lot of policing issues. There's a lot of issues when it, when it comes to 
um, what is happening on the streets. Uh, women are going missing. Um, we have issues with taxis that, uh, you know, the code of conduct was a fight to get in itself. There's so many um, peripheral issues that also need to be dealt with. Um, you know, and I, I appreciate, Rick, because I know that we were watching the same Twitter feed, and I know that you and I probably both were feeling that disgust, uh, um, and, and I publicly say that. I believe that a city that is compassionate, a city that believes that we are all equal, a city that recognizes our history and our past um, and moves forward in a good way, but with, you know, side by side is really what we're going to have to do, but to ignore what's happening, to pretend that it's not happening, to pretend that we didn't get to this situation <coughs> for because of ignoring it for so long will not get us forward. So I, I want to just, uh, I agree with you, Rick, and actually Don, uh, on that piece, I do agree with you as well. All right, go ahead, Chris. I want to ask Rano this question. A lot of mayoral candidates have committed to be on the board of the police board. My curiosity is, uh, why don't you appoint or ask city councilors to appoint you as the board chair? I feel like if we really want to address missing and murdered indigenous women, it should be a woman be the lead on the police board. So why haven't you committed to that uh, uh, position? Yeah, it's not that I haven't committed to it. Um, I just I don't think that me sitting on a police board when we need to get to the root of the cause, which means that police know what's happening. Me sitting on a police board, what we're actually talking about, if you really want to get to the, the crux of it, the details of it, we're talking about systemic issues. We're talking about systemic barriers. We're talking about systemic racism. We're talking about institutional issues that me sitting on that board will be great, and I'm totally open to doing it. Um, however, I think that this is not my priority. I think my priority is breaking down barriers, getting to the root of these systemic issues, getting through the policies to ensure that we are taking a human rights approach to all that we do, that we are acknowledging the harms of the past, that we're not on Twitter uh, dividing the communities. Yeah, but, 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 but the police board, what's wrong with it is citizens don't trust the police board. If I okay. saw you on the police board, I would have more trust in the political system that we have. Okay. Who's on the police board? Yeah, but part of this is yeah. that if, if we really want to get to the root of this, we have to. If we're going to respect authorities, we need to. And there are a lot of misinformation out there. The RCMP did a report and people still don't buy that report. And yet still I've asked folks that if the RCMP report is something that you disagree with, then you have an obligation, a moral one too, to bring forward to the table what your findings are. Recently, the MMF president got $1.5 million to make sure that the disproportionate of men in the correctional facilities are not indigenous men. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the chief who lost 11 members of his, uh, of his First Nation community, said exactly what I said, which is that we need to start looking at this thing from the issue of indigenous men and the atrocities that are done. Those are the words of the chief. Those are not my words. And, and, uh, and I'm very really happy. Uh, and I'm very happy, Rana. One second. Stop for a second, Rana, please. Please, Rana, please, Rana, stop. Rana, stop, because you call me names that will eventually going to end up with you with a lawsuit when I'm done. But that's okay. <laughs> that's fine. Um, the the that's fact of the matter is the facts, the facts, the facts are, the facts are out truth. there. The facts are out there. And if anybody have any additional information, they have an obligation to bring it forward. May, may I, I think okay. the most important thing here is like we need to create yeah. a we need to create a city without racism. In yep. 2015, Thank we you. were called the most racist city yes. in Canada. Let's abolish racism. How do you abolish racism? We don't want to get to the institutional issues. So thank you, Rick. I agree. That's that's absolutely true. Um, 
And I just want to, you know, Don, you're talking about the RCMP report, which is an outside report. Why are we not talking about the MMIW report, that national report that probably does not agree with the RCMP report? Why do you need an outside report to tell you what's happening on the ground when MMIW has their own report? Okay. That's the report we should be focusing on. Uh, call no, we shouldn't, we shouldn't should focus on that of report because they are, the, the RCMP has given us facts based on case. Okay. Facts based on I case. I think it's really important, respectfully, respectfully, I think it's very important for, for us to have a discussion about how policing when it, and indigenous peoples, there, it, it's, not, it's not a, you know, we all shake hands and move move forward in a good way. It's a problematic relationship. Okay, Facts based on case says that no, 70% of indigenous men are I think in... Are stop in, perpetuating I think that. The, I think, the I think points, it's very important. The points have all been made I and it's, it's time to false. move on to the, the next false. theme. Thanks so much for the spirited discussion. Everyone will move on to... It's absolutely false. And it's actually very disrespectful. Okay, I th think it is time to move on to taxes and city finances. So, last question uh, of tonight is uh, several candidates in this race have said they will hike property tax and frontage levy rates in Winnipeg. At least one candidate, and I think now two candidates, has promised to freeze property tax rates. How will you pay for your campaign promises? And will this include raising taxes? If it does, how can you justify that to Winnipeggers who are struggling in the current affordability crisis? First up this time is Rick Sean. Okay. <clears throat> so. I originally decided to run for mayor because I was fed up with the fiscal management of our city. We have a city that can't function properly because of years of mismanagement. You know, we build great plans, but we are terrible at executing them. So we're in the poor financial situation that we're in for, I think, two reasons. Uh, one is we had prolonged tax freezes and or decreases that began back in, way back in 1998. We've also had very poor fiscal management over the past six years. So having said that, at this time, I'm still not proposing to increase taxes right now because I do recognize that Winnipegers are facing an, a period of unknown inflation right now. Uh, we don't know what to expect, and many are experiencing a lot of hardships coming out of the pandemic. Um, you know, the many of my policies that I have brought forward are either revenue neutral or we can pay for them by rearranging budget lines and have really only focused on, on the biggest expenses that are the most important for long-term economic growth of the city. Okay, thanks so much. Next we'll hear from uh, you, Chris. The city budget is $1.2 billion. As an everyday citizen who doesn't own $1.2 billion, how do we direct that money? Not many citizens understand the budget process. I feel so frustrated that our political leaders do not educate young people. Even our public school systems don't educate me on financial literacy. And that is what's missing. The, the way the city does their budget process is they have two budgets, the operational budget and the capital budget. The capital <coughs> budgets are the one-time purchases. That is basically construction projects. Secondly, the operations is labor costs so and fuel costs. Those are everyday uh, payments that we must, uh, the city must pay uh, for to use city services. Okay, thanks so much, Chris. Next up is Rana Bakari. Thank you. 
I think the most important thing um, is the fact that Winnipeggers are struggling. I think that we have talked about poverty that is very visible, but there's also a lot of poverty that is invisible. We have people who are working paycheck to paycheck and a little bit of a movement uh, will, will basically derail their lives. And I know this because I've been speaking to those individuals. Um, a tax rate increase right now is not something that I want to do. I think that the 20, uh, 2022 budget is a 2.33% tax uh, increase. Um, I would do that for 2022, 2023, and in 2024, if I have shown Winnipegers that we are transparent, if I've shown Winnipegers that we are accountable, if I've shown Winnipegers that we have been a good steward of the public purse, then and only then will we review and consider uh, raising the taxes anymore. Right now we need to get Winnipeggers through post-COVID. We need to get Winnipeggers through um, what's happening with inflation. We need that to balance itself out. We need Winnipeggers to see hap vibrancy on their streets to be able to want to contribute more. Um, I would leave it at that. Cut <coughs> my time's up. Okay, thanks so much. Uh, next up is Don Woodstock on taxes and city finances. We have uh, never called in a performance bond by the construction industry. There's a lot of inefficiencies out there. And one of the things that I would do, I would seek, seek out these inefficiencies. We, we, the, the Manitoba Heavy Construction Association has been lobbying the city to, um, to do, get in the business of recycling aggregate, which will save us easily $40 million, $50 million annually. This is something that will be a must for us. If we look at these inefficiencies and we, we, we address them, then we can't go wrong. I'm going to be also giving back people money on the water. You know, we're making money on this water bill and, and the water rates. So why are we not rebating people if we have excess? The PPND every year make a big profit. What do they do with it? Throw it into general front. Accountability needs to happen. And for me, that's what I would do. Make sure we have these inefficiencies looked at seriously, especially in the construction industry. Thanks. Okay, thanks. And last, we'll hear from uh, Idris. Yes, I'm not planning to increase taxes. Um, my plan is to ensure that um, we change our budgeting structure from traditional increment approach you know, to priority-based budgeting. And I know this is one of the recommendations from the Winnipeg Chamber of Commerce as well, and I strongly believe in that. Um, we need to focus on what is important to Winnipegers right now. You know, inflation and some other issues that we have right now. So, from my own perspective, there is a need for us to make sure that we allocate our resources to the areas that are important. Then we can make sure that Winnipeggers, we don't, they don't feel that kind of a pressure. When you increase taxes right now, some people, they cannot even afford to even pay their rent properly, you know. Then when you do that, what is going to happen again? So my plan is to make sure that I don't increase taxes right now. Thank you. Okay, that's great. Once again, we see some real differences between the candidates, and maybe we can... Uh we can expand on those. And you'd like to go first, Rick? Yeah, I mean, one thing I just wanted to add to that is that, uh, like, for me personally, I see, I look at financial statements all the time. I mean, I'm a business owner. I, I have a good understanding of them. When I first started running for mayor, I looked through the last 10 just to get an understanding. And then a couple months later, unfortunately, I had to go back to 1998 because we had another candidate who came in. And, you know, those early financial statements, I'm telling you, they were the least transparent things I've ever seen in my life. Today, we do have, uh, you know, statements that are listed online, but they are not clear. Like, as an average citizen, you cannot get a good idea of where the money is actually being spent. And so this is why I said, as, as mayor, the first thing I'd have to do is basically fling open the books and see exactly where the money is, what we're spending things on. If we can look at 
where, uh, you know, where are we giving money to? What budgets? Look at fees, fines, permits. Uh, can we raise some uh, some revenues there? The absolute like the last resort would be to raise taxes at this point because Winnipeggers have shown have said that they're willing to pay more taxes in some cases. But would you want to pay taxes if you really have no clear idea at this point how your money is being spent and if the value is actually being spent if it's being spent well? well go ahead, Chris. I have a question for Rick. As a business <coughs> owner, I'm not a business owner, but I one day do wish to be since I call myself a civic practitioner and a policy entrepreneur and advocate for basic income in this province, is the question of the city has elected business people many times. Mm -hmm. Why hasn't any of the business leaders who we have elected not addressed our structural deficit? That's $6.9 billion. Yeah. So I think first thing, I've, I've experienced this question lots for people mm -hmm. who are a little skeptical of business people coming into the city. Right. I think the, the, um, the, the point is here is that a lot of business people who we've had in the past, they also have not been good governors. And so while we look for efficiencies, we, we also need to be good, be good governors. And so it is, there is a difference there. Um, you know, and in the capital budget, we have a, a huge deficit, as you know. Um, but these are just wishful projects in mm -hmm. most cases. Okay. They're not funded yet. Okay. So we just create a wish list, and then we go out and we try to fund them. I, I think when we're talking about finances, when we're talking about taxes, and when we're talking about any issue related to the public purse, uh, I think that un until we can show Winnipeggers that we are accountable and transparent, and you know the one thing that we can do as candidates, we can all do, which is something that I've committed to right off the bat, and one of my first announcements was to commit to continuing the police headquarters lawsuit. What we saw there was a squandering of taxpayer dollars. What we saw there was some of the most egregious actions that have wasted taxpayer dollars. So yeah, it's, but, it's but impossible for us to go to Winnipeggers today and ask them to do anything and trust in government. Yeah, but part of, part of the one thing that is missing from this conversation, Glenn Murray changed the charter so we can borrow in the future. Sam Katz did the same mm -hmm. thing. Brian Bowman did the same thing. Nobody is looking at that. And the reason why the other candidates are not trying to stop that from happening is because they want to do the same thing. They want to have that wishful thinking to borrow money 40, 50 years in the making. And who is paying for that? We're still playing, paying today for Glenn Murray's bridge. You know, so God knows when we'll ever start paying for Brian Bowman's half a billion dollars in, in bond at 50-year at, at loan. That needs to stop, and the provincial government or the city or the councillors with the mayor needs to stop that train and cut it off and let us not get into that borrowing thing anymore because that's wrong. Okay, thanks. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, Civics 101, uh, the way the city get, gets funding is through four ways. That's property taxes, user fees, debt front from uh, banks and basically loans, and lastly, uh, government transfers. So I think we really need to really work with other levels of government mm -hmm. to really address our in, uh, structural deficit. Oh. Yeah, and you're, you're perfectly 100%. right on that, but there is a point where we can take on too much debt. And, and I said this the other day, it's, you know, city finance is interesting because you can borrow more money, yet your, yet your S&P rating goes up. You know, it's it's kind of a crazy thing. Like, if you tried to do that as an average person, nobody would ever give you more money. No. And I think we need to think outside the box, you know. We can't rely on taxes all the time. And that's why when you look at my platform, I created some stuff whereby we need to create more opportunities. 
for Winnipegas, and that will enable us to be able to generate more revenue. Then we can even reduce the stress on Winnipegas. Thank you. Okay. You know, one so thing, Idris, nobody has mentioned yet is the fact that how our property assessments have gone up quite a bit this yes. year. So I would like to see what our revenues are actually going to look like. Absolutely. My business property tax went up 100%. Yeah. And I think that, Rick, you know, Rick, again, I agree with you yes. uh, on the point of uh, it's very difficult to have conversations about the financial um, you know, environment of what any new mayor is walking into. And it could be uh, perceived as, you know, almost reckless to make bold statements about what things look like. But we do know some basics. Um, but I do recognize the fact that we act, it's true. We don't really know if, what exactly is going on behind the scenes. But I think accountability, transparency, and trust in government when it comes to the public purse is the starting point of any of these discussions. Okay. All right. Thanks so much for that uh, great discussion. We are now going to try to stay on time. We're going to move towards uh, uh, candidates' closing statements. And we'll go in reverse order from the uh, opening statements. So we'll start for one minute with uh, Idris El Lacoon. <laughs> this election is about leadership. And I strongly believe that uh, we need to vote based on plan, not based on names. Um, you know, if you look at what has happened in the past and where we are right now, Winnipeg needs a voice that can speak for everyone. And I will tell you that if you vote for Idris, you are voting for transparency, accountability, honesty. And I believe with my skills, I should be able to transfer, transform the city to an enviable height. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Go ahead, Chris. The main reason that I planned to run for public office for the highest position was back in 2014. I made a vow to myself that I would, see, I would love to see a young person become our mayor for this city. I believe that the next generation of leadership is in this city, the city of Winnipeg. And for me, win or lose, I'm so proud to be surrounded by a lot of the, my heroes in my life. And so when I think about the future, I trust every candidate on this stage and outside this stage. Uh, they deserve to be on that ballot. And I have made a commitment, a vow back in 2014 that I would continue to run for public office for 2014, 2018, 2022, 2026, and 2030 and I am committed to that vow and as you can tell I'm running no matter what anyone tells me. Okay thanks so much next up is uh, Rana. Thank you. I think one of the most important uh, things in this election is um, not going back to something that hasn't given us really what we need. The fact that we are in this crisis right now and I will confidently call it a drug crisis this poverty, the poverty issues that we are facing, the homelessness issues we are facing, the absolute disregard for human rights on the streets. Nothing we do right now has worked. It hasn't worked. Um, and now it's about believing in something that is bigger than all of us. We can't continue to do what we have done. We surely can't go back to the 1990s. Um, and for me, what, I, what will always come first to me, what I've said throughout this campaign, it will always be people over politics. And what we need to do right now is lift the most vulnerable of our people in this city with compassion and with dignity. When, the, when our most vulnerable people are doing good, our businesses will do good. Our crime rates will decrease. Um, our police services won't be used as much. We will have, um, our, our youth will want to stay in Winnipeg. That's the vision. That's the vision, and that's what I'm asking Winnipeggers to get behind. Thank you. 
Okay, thanks so much, Rana. Next we'll hear Rick Sean's uh, closing statement. Thanks, and thanks for having us here today, and I appreciate all these, all these other candidates with me. Um, you know, when I first <laughs> decided to run for mayor, uh, I was an outsider. I'm a business person. I'm not a politician. And so the reason why is because I looked at City Hall and the division that we have in our city right now, and a city that does not work. We need outside voices, like the ones in this room, who are challenging our politicians at the city level who have done things in, in a manner over the past few years that have not worked and have actually put us in a worse position going forward. So these voices in this room are really important, and I hope that you know in, in future elections, people remember that all voices are extremely important. We are, we are faced with an election um, you know, where we're dealing with a lot of former politicians and the status quo in our city is just simply not working. Okay, thanks so much. And lastly, we'll hear from Don Woodstock. Over the many years, Winnipeg, you have come to know me advocating for a number of things in the city. I'm one of the few people who, on my own time and dime, without getting paid for it, and I don't regret doing them. Because the things I believe in, I'm going to fight for, I'm going to push for. I'm none of the above. The status quo hasn't worked. They have turned their eyes on the backs on us in Winnipeg. And they have pretending as if they care, but they don't care. The status quo needs to go. Vote for somebody else that is not any one of us above. Because at the end of the day, you're going to receive better from any one of us here than any one of the other guys above. Because the fact of the matter is, we are going to be doing. Actions speak louder than words. Okay? And when I advocate for things that I believe in, I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to push for it regardless of what it is. My name is Don Woodstock, and I'm asking you to vote differently this election. And all the people who have visited my website, if half of you go out and vote for me, I am the new mayor. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. This uh, wraps up our first Equate debate. I wanted to thank these great uh, candidates for running, uh, Hugh Productions and ChrisD.ca for putting this event together, uh, and also all of you for watching. And if you'd like to go and re-watch the debate, you can do so on ilikehugh.com or chrisd.ca. I hope you take into consideration what you've heard tonight when you cast your ballot on Election Day on October 26th, and thanks again for tuning in. Have a great night. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. 
Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.